The Things We All Carry is a podcast about first responders and their stories surrounding trauma on the job. The intention of this podcast is to raise awareness and share meaningful conversation around a subject often viewed as taboo or simply ignored. Be aware this content may be graphic and it is real. It may not be suitable for children or adults triggered by this subject matter. Welcome back to The Things We All Carry. Today's one of those days where, where I don't know if I'm diagnosed with ADHD or not, and we've talked about it quite a bit, but I feel it today. I'm scattered. My thoughts are scattered. Um, and it shows in, in what I'm doing. I'm kind of all over the place. And I think this introduction is probably going to be all over the place. Uh, it's kind of unavoidable when, when my brain is racing a little bit. Uh, I've been doing a lot of questions on Instagram. I've been putting them out to a broadcast channel through the things we all carry. And if you're not following me at, uh, on Instagram, go ahead and, and find me. It's at the things we all carry. Join the broadcast channel and, and kind of join the conversation. Um, yesterday I was talking, or I, I put up a question about mental injury and how do we use that term? Is that, is that term better than of course, mental illness or whatever, you know, what we see from a trauma is truly a mental injury. And, um, number of people had really good things to say about it and really not just good, but interesting things and, and some good conversation. And I appreciated it so much. Um, I think that this job kind of, it inflicts these injuries on us and, and we almost go day to day without, without even realizing them. And then a big one happens. And of course we realize that, but it's the smaller things I think that build and build and build and it kind of wears you down. And I don't want to give a crutch, but I, I do want to identify what some of it is. And I guess my question was, do, do municipalities start treating it as an injury and start approaching it from, okay, we need to get you medical care, or we need to get you retirement or we get, get you whatever it is. And, and we treat people accordingly to, to what they've experienced. I know it's a gray area because we all bring in our own baggage to this job and we all react to the calls differently. And what I might see as a minuscule call might be very traumatic to you. And so I know that, that there's, there's, there's a lot of work to do when we start talking about something such as a mental injury. But I think that we can start, we can start that path at least start thinking, okay, so what kind of calls are affecting people? What kind of the small minutia, the small bullshit on a day-to-day -day basis at a fire station, can we start to eliminate that will help foster, um, health, both physical and mental, maybe even emotional. What can we do that can, that can start fostering that stuff? And, and I think that's a, it's a very top down question in my opinion, because, you know, some of that bullshit just becomes, comes from the top and, and some of it's unavoidable, but I think some of it can be treated differently. And, um, I think that you, you have this weird mixture, at least what I'm seeing in departments nowadays. And you've got this old guard that's trying to hold tight to the old, the old ways, because that's the way we've always done it. And, and you've got a new guard coming in that, that is thinking more progressively and is, kind of preaching some more, like I said, progressive ideas, forward thinking ideas, which kind of scares the old guard, which good, that old guard needs to be scared. And I think we can apply that to our own thoughts. We do a lot of things because 
that's just the way we've done it. And maybe it's time to, to start rethinking how we do our own stuff, you know, uh, make those changes that are going to be, that are going to impact you in such a, a more, much more beneficial manner. Um, have more of a positive outcome for you, your life, the people around you, the loved ones, the people you just interact with day to day that don't even know you. I mean, how many times are we in traffic or in a store and somebody does something, we just get hissed. Well, I mean, some of that can be changed with, with how we react to people. And, and it all is an internal battle. It's, it's us taking in the stimuli, processing it, and then digesting it, but then reacting for us, not for them. So somebody cuts me off in traffic instead of telling them to fuck off or giving them a finger. You know, I just, nowadays it's more of a, all right, well, I guess he needed that spot more than me. Go for it. You do your thing, buddy. And it, it's, that's a hard transition because uh, anybody that's ridden on a fire engine or a fire truck or the rescue with me knows that I like to yell at people in traffic when I'm responding. And, uh, and I think that's more born from, a, from an awareness thing. I, I, I kind of aggressively point out what I see as I drive. Let's put it that way. It can be pretty entertaining, but uh, it can also probably be pretty annoying. But I think as I go through my day-to-day life now, I'm, I'm trying to make some, some small changes, some moderations. So I'm not, not letting the, the bullshit affect me as much. And I think we all need to find a way to do that. Take a step back, process, think about it, then react. Not, not react, a drop of a hat. And it's a more cerebral way of, of, of living. And, um, I've been, I've been dabbling a little bit in stoicism and I think that probably has an effect on it. And I'm dabbling a little, I mean, a very little bit. Um, but I think it's a beneficial approach. You can take bits and pieces of everything and, and apply them to your life. And, and I think a little bit of stoicism is, is good for me. Um, it's, uh, it, it helps center and focus a little bit. So I think for me, it's a good thing. It might necessarily, not necessarily be good for everybody. And maybe some people don't understand it. I don't really understand it completely, but I'm trying a little bit and, and, um, I'm going to be a little more meaningful, a little more purposeful and, uh, and help, help minimize some reaction. Uh, it all boils down to communication, processing communication and, and using using the right words, the right inflection, the right responses, um, finding my way and, uh, just trying to be a better human being. And I know I need to do that. And it, it's something that I have been working on and I, I continue to, to work on it. And people around me will tell you that, that I, I still need work. Uh, people from my, from now, yes, I still need work. I know that. And I think that again, we're always a work in progress, right? And here I am talking about still needing work. So I guess with all of that, that I've just said, um, you can kind of get the feeling that, yeah, my brain is a little all over the place and I apologize for that. Um, sometimes it's harder, harder to focus than others. And, and today's one of those days. So before I continue on and babble on anymore and make a fool of myself anymore, Let's, uh, let's get to it. Welcome to episode 102 of the things we all carry today. I'm bringing you a conversation 
part one of a conversation I had with Steven Sims and you can find Steven on Instagram. He's a, he's an interesting follow if you, it's, uh, at TX sick boy on Instagram or uncle Sims on Instagram and uncle spell with a K. Steven's been in the fire service since 2007. Um, he's currently the ladder chauffeur at station 55. He, um, he's very open about his experience with it, with a double L O D D in 2009. And, uh, he quote unquote became an asshole for an extended period of time. Um, but Steven's a very interesting person. He has been, the first thing he used to describe his life growing up was vagabond. And I think it's very appropriate. This is a, this is a person who, who started in Mississippi, Alabama, Mississippi, Arkansas, and ends up in Texas, but also then spends some time in the Navy and he explored the world for a bit. And, and I think that he and I talk about that a little bit. It's so valuable to, to get out and see a foreign culture and to, to interact with cultures other than our own, to learn that, Hey, this isn't the end all be all here for us. There's so much more out there and so much more to learn and don't, don't discredit other cultures just because they're not from America. Uh, and so it, it, it was a, it was a really good conversation with, um, someone who was described by his wife as the village people of careers. He's kind of held every hat of the, of the, the members of the village people. And you, you can, you'll hear about that in, in the episode. Uh, like I said, he experienced a double LODD in 2009 as part of the Houston fire department. He, um, it affected him quite a bit. He, he became an asshole in, in his words. He, uh, is now on a journey to become a better human, a better husband and a better father. And he's trying to be a parent advocate for his kids in, uh, this is a very creative man. He, uh, he, he's, he loves to make stuff with his hands. He's, he's into music, art, writing, woodworking. He's, uh, as he puts it, he's on the punk rock retirement plan with his wife since the, since the 1900s. He's a good conversation and he's a good follow and he's a good person to just kind of touch base with once in a while. And, and he's, uh, he has a different take than most people in the fire service. And I, I have to appreciate that because I think I have a different take than most people in the fire service. So you guys, uh, listen in, listen to Steven tell his story. He's going to be back later in another episode talking about um, dealing with ADHD and being a parent of autistic children and what you can do with that and how that affects his life and how he is active in trying to you know, advocate for them. It's uh, like I said, this is a very interesting human being and I've appreciated the time I've spent talking to him and I've appreciated getting to know him and I appreciate this little friendship that we've created. So without further ado, here's episode 102 of the things we all carry. A quick reminder to please help us build a community which not only recognizes, but supports each other through the struggles and recovery. Reach out through Instagram at the things we all carry or email my story at the things we all carry.com to offer support and share your story. Please remember to leave a review on iTunes and give a shout out to any first responder you know, love, or care about. Y'all enjoy the show. do this and, and have our conversation all right all right well welcome back to the things we all carry today uh, i'm sitting here what is it uh, a few days before christmas and uh, i'm kind of on my break from releasing new episodes but i'm not 
I'm still recording new episodes and, and I'm, I'm very happy to have a guest with me today that I've been interested in speaking to for a while now. Um, I've kind of followed him along on Instagram. He's followed me and, and we've kind of struck up a little bit of a friendship. I'll say for myself. So I appreciate him coming on the show and I'd like to welcome Steven. Steven is from Houston area and he's been a firefighter for roughly 16 years. Correct, Steven? Yeah. And, uh, before we get too far, let's talk about two things. Give me the last song you listened to and then give me your, your social media where people can reach you if you would like them to, to seek you out. Okay. Uh, well, can't tell you the last song because, uh, it's, uh, we have an album in our house on repeat right now. It's a album by JD McPherson called socks. Okay. It's a Christmas album. It's probably one of the best Christmas albums I've ever heard. Um, and is because my uh, five-year-old has loved that album since he was a baby. They have a little animated uh, YouTube playlist, and he's loved it since then. And every Christmas, uh, that is, uh, he requests that when he, you know, we'll play it, the album one time. He's like, "Oh yeah, that's I like that album." And then it's it's like in the truck at home, yeah. wherever you know, it's always so. It's just been JD McPherson socks over and and over you know and that, it's funny it doesn't get old because he enjoys it so much so but yeah it's a great album so it's funny once you make that reminder then you're stuck with it for the rest of the holiday season right yeah 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 but i don't mind he enjoys it you know uh and he he requests it so we do it i'm i'm I'll tend to pull my kids a little too much so you know what they want they usually get if i can give it to them that's not a bad thing as long as as long as you're not to spoil them too much right no no not, you know um, but you know so where, where where can people find you where can the followers find you because you do have a kind of an interesting page you like to post quite a bit and and you're not you're not bashful about being out there i think no uh you can find me on instagram at uh tx sick boy uh, that's my little handle. Um, that's probably where you can find me the most if you want to reach out to me there and follow me or whatever. You can do that. Um, uh, and I asked you when we when we spoke, I asked you about that, and and you wanna you wanna share where you where you stole the handle from? Yeah, uh, that yeah, uh, the sick uh, the sick boy part is from uh, a song one of my favorite bands, Social Distortion, called Sick Boy, and you know it's uh. It's a greaser, rockabilly, motorcycle guy kind of term. Uh, it's a, you'll see a lot of motorcycle guys uh, talking about sick boy this, you know, or sick boy stuff. Um, but it's it's from Social Distortion. Me and my wife have been in the uh, punk rock retirement plan for a long time. That <laughs> you know, we we were in the Houston rockabilly scene, pretty active for a while. You know, till we or force more to be adults and parents and not, you know, go to shows and all that as much. But, uh, that's where I got it from, you know, being from Texas and just Texas sick boy, you know? So, so it's a good segue into me giving the audience a warning that, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little under the weather. I've got a, I've got a little cough going on. So if you hear me cough or you hear me open a, a lozenge, it's, uh, just bear with me. We're going to make it through this interview and hopefully not have too many interruptions. And I'll, I'll use the, the mute button on my end liberally if I need to. So 
Stephen, where did you grow up? What was family life like for you? Um, I grew up. Oh, man, I don't know any, I don't know a, I'm trying to find a better term than the one I'm using in my head because I know it's not a good term to use. Uh, feel like I, I lived a vagabond life, uh, kind of all over the place. Uh, I was born in Mississippi, but, uh, we went, um, parents, uh, had, uh, had a little department store in a small town in Mississippi and then Walmart moved in and kind of shut that down and, um, um, ended up, I think my dad found a job in Alabama. So we moved there and, then, uh, the hardships with all that, uh, I parents ended up splitting up back with my mom, you know, the Mississippi and then, uh, parents got a divorce and I bounced from around from Mississippi up to Northeast Arkansas, where my dad's family's from. And, you know, and then eventually landed in Texas. And, um, I was just always still to this day, you know, go on adventures with my wife, you know, and all you settle down pretty young with her, but, uh, always just on the go looking for something new, what's around the corner. And, you know, me and my wife, we've been together 25 plus years now. Um, so we, we've grown up, you know, together. We are very young when we had our first child, uh, gotten, you know, been together raising him. And then as a, you know, as a child growing up, you know, it was just always like seemed to be a split with the families. Um, I don't think anyone knew how to properly handle divorce. So that was pretty rough on me and my brother. What year was the um, divorce? Oh yeah, I was in third grade. So 80s. How old are you in third grade? <laughs> you know, well, kindergarten is fifth, so six, seven, what, eight? Eight, eight. So eight, nine, I would guess would be the divorce, you know, and I, I can remember my dad would come see us and all that. Um, he worked on the road a lot for, for a long time. Um, and he would come see us and I just, there was a lot of anger. I know on my mom's side, my dad's side, I'm not sure. I think he was just, I, I had more feeling with my dad. He was trying to just come see his boys. Mm -hmm. You know, he was working on the road. He would send us care packages. We was working on the road, you know, and then he, but I, I just, my parents were, well, never got along after, you know, after they separated and got a divorce. A pretty big custody fight. Me and my brother wanted to live with my dad, which led to a lot of, a lot of infighting in the family. Uh, but, uh, eventually we just, we just found our way to our, our dad and, you know, and lived with him. My last years in school, I uh, ended up in Texas and. Texas became home. It's like, it was like finding like, this is, this is the place to be. Was it always a Houston uh, area? Uh, 
it was always a Houston area, it was a little south of Houston, um, about an hour south of Houston. Um, I don't know, man. It was just, it was just the the, the Tex-Mex atmosphere. Uh, going to going to a te, you know on the weekends going to like Tejano dance halls and uh, you know being a little white boy in a Tejano dance halls trying to learn how to dance and just having a blast learning a new you know again I think it goes back to the ADHD thing is it, is it was a novelty you know and getting to learn a new culture and immerse yourself in was. With the, you know, the music, the dancing, all of it was this, it was something new and different. And I, you know, I fell in love with it and I was like, this is the place to be. I think that but, uh, when we first talked you, you, you explained it one way that, uh, it was creative and, and it's kind of spot on. And I think for, for a few of us, and, and that's like that you said that your wife says you tried to collect all the village people titles. Yes. Yeah. That was my job. That was my job was collect all the yeah be all the village people because i went in the military uh you know i uh uh tried uh tried out law enforcement that didn't work out for me and you know then moved on to a fireman i also worked in construction so i mean i, I was covering all the titles so she was she was a cheap pity so she was you know what's this person you're gonna be or whatever you know but, what, uh, uh, what year ended did up you just sticking with the firemen? What year did you join the, the military? And you said Navy, correct? Yes. Navy. Uh, I, 1994 graduated, graduated, uh, high school and went straight to boot camp. Did you get a break between high school and at all? I, like, like a couple of weeks or did you go right well, in? I went right in. Yeah. I did the same and, thing. Uh, I, I graduated high school in end of May, beginning of June. And I was in, I was in El Paso, Texas for boot camp, and, uh, the first week of July of the same year. So it was, it was that rapid transition from, from free loving high school kid to, oh shit, my head is bald. And what am I doing here? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I guess it was my junior year in high school. I just realized that, man, everybody's talking about going to college and this and that. And I'm like. I cannot go to college. You know, mm -hmm. this is not what I want to do. Um, growing up, you know, um, working on family farm and all that, I was like, you know, I knew what manual labor was. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I really don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, works, you know, work summers with a roofer once. Um, this is a job I don't want. I, and I, I guess, uh, just going through life, I had just figured out the things I didn't want to do. Mm -hmm. And the only path I thought would be right was like, I got to have somebody tell me what to do because I'm not good. I, you know, I'm not good independently. So I went in the military, which is, uh, which helped me out a lot. It gave me a lot of structure, you know, gave me training, gave me a trade. Um, and then I got uh, being in the Navy, I, I, I got to do that vagabond adventuring, you know, um, we would hit, hit ports and it, and I've always found it funny that sailors tend to, um, they don't go far from the dock mm -hmm. and I was the opposite. I was like, jump, you know, in Italy, jumping on trains, going 
hundreds of miles away. And then the adventure coming back was trying to back before the ship left. God, they're going to leave. We're not going to make it back. You know, I, I remember standing in a train station in farmland in Italy. Like I, you know, this is back with no cell phones or anything. You're like, is this train coming? Are we going to make it back? You know, and, and, but the whole time, you know, it was scary. You could, you don't want to get in trouble, especially to want the ship to leave you. Cause you know, you're just in trouble then. Uh, but it was this, those, those kind of adventures were just a great life lesson, but looking back on them, I mean, it's like, it was a blast. Um, I re remember somebody got hurt, written a scooter one time. So of course the military, one person does something wrong. Everyone has to pay for it. Mm -hmm. So like no, no more in scooters. And then, and the next port we pulled, we pulled into, uh, I think it was a, a Greek Island. Um, I don't know which one, Zach and those or one of those, I, I can't remember, but, uh, we got off, me and my buddy, we got off, got off the boat, went straight across the street to the scooter rental, jumped on them and we were gone. We went on the other side of the island, you know, just let's go see what's over there and, and had a blast. Um, was it funny? Cause we found a, um, like a. A bar, it was called the Pink Cadillac. It was um, hmm. like a 1950s retro bar, you know, high booths and all this kind of stuff. And and uh, we're sitting there talking and a head popped over the booth, the high booth. And it was the English gentleman. And he goes, where are you from? And my, my buddy's like, I'm, I'm from the Boston area. And I'll go, no, you pointed at me. And I go, <laughs> Texas? And his eyeballs, you know, got to be big as a softball and you know next hours just asking questions did we all ride horses you know did we all have horns on our you know on our truck you know and it was this that we had a blast we ended up hanging out with them the whole that whole port call and it was a blast you know because like i guess in europe you know they go on holidays and families there's not one family but multiple families will go on holidays to these different destinations and and we just hung out with those families and it was like, again, learning another culture or, you know, or learning how other people live throughout the world. And, uh, it always gave me a insight to, you know, the world and, and I got to see, I got to learn how not to be, I, I get what you would say, a stupid American. And, and I mean, it was a blast and, and that's what the Navy gave me was those adventures. Yeah. I think. It, I, I, I think one of the things that Go ahead. many Americans are missing is just that, what you said, that, that glimpse into other cultures. Um, and in some cases you were missing it, even it, from an insular standpoint of, of cultures across the United States, let alone going to Germany or Italy or Japan or, or Greece and experiencing yeah. a foreign culture, because we, we just we're indoctrinated from the get-go of, of, oh, well, we're the best and we're, we're really the only, I don't know, identity that you need to worry about. Don't, don't learn other cultures because, you know, they're, they're less than us. We're always, we're just kind of beaten to our heads a little bit from, from the get-go. And once you get out there and you start yeah. experiencing other cultures and other people, you realize that there's a lot more in common than we have different from each other. You know, our language might be different, but yeah. humanity is humanity. Yeah.
I mean, I was like, I, uh, I did a lot of my schooling for the Navy out in San Diego and did many of trips to Tijuana and I walked Tijuana again. I mean, Hey, it was a lot of food that this food was a very big motivator for me to do these adventures. I just love finding new foods and eating new foods and all these little taco shops and, you know, and talk to people down there and they would like, oh, you need to go to this place. You need to try this place and all this kind of stuff. And like people were amazed that I could just walk through Tijuana. You never got beat up. You never got robbed. I'm like, nope. Because, uh, Hey, I learned from how people got beat up and robbed down there, you know, because mm-hmm. they're being loud and drunkards and all that kind of stuff and, and, uh, drawed attention to themselves. And I just kind of like, I'm just walking through here and being quiet and, you know, just like, Hey, we're good. I had a group with us hey, we can walk through here, but Hey, we're not gonna be loud and all this kind of stuff. And like, and, and, uh, it was funny. I ended up kind of being like the. Tijuana tour guide. I didn't really know a lot about Tijuana, but people like, Hey, you at least know how to move through Tijuana and I could, you know, get messed with. So, but it was, it was this, it was those things as getting, getting away from home and, uh, and going on these adventures was, was always a drive for me. Um, I did it, you know, throughout high school, um, you know, driving driving from Texas to Greenville, Mississippi for the Mississippi Delta Blues Festival. And just like, I just, hey, I'll be back. And and I asked my dad later, like, why why did you let me do these things? And he's he's like, he's like, man, I just, I could have said no, but he said, basically, you know, that, that would put that fire out and I didn't want to do that. And I understood that you had this independence and I didn't want to stifle that spirit of independence, you know, and, um, and I really appreciate that for, you know, cause like the same thing, he never gave me a curfew. Cause he's like, I don't want you at 1159 rushing home. Right. He just told me which worked great for, for kind of how, how I am about roles and things. Anyway, you know, he was like, you know, when it's good to be home, you know, what you should and should not be doing all the time. And that really gave me a sense of ownership. You know, um, uh, the word now is enemy, which, uh, I really try to do with my kids as well. He gave me that autonomy to go out and kind of live life and learn, but still under some kind of safety net. And then house and did the same thing you know i still got to do adventures but in the navy i I had still somewhat of a safety net somewhat of guidance somewhat of rules that had to be back at the ship at this time but i could go out and see these things and do these things but um always something to pull me back back in so i you know i just didn't disappear into the void yeah it's freedom with a tether yeah there you go so how long do you stay in the Navy? I did six, six years. And why do you get out? What, what, what's the decision? I got, uh, 
I was just, I was just done. Um, yeah. uh, I wanted to, I wanted to be with my wife and my, 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 um, our oldest, um, uh, my rate, my rate the Navy, I, I couldn't advance any higher in rank cause it was just so closed up at the time. Um, so it's like, I'm just going to be sitting here and idle, maybe, maybe promote, maybe not. Um, uh, so, but I think at, at that part of my, I just I knew that part of my life was done and it was time to move on. And uh, try to be a dad because I I never felt like I was a dad then. E even to my uh, oldest boy, because I would you know I could come home and I could give him, bring presents and hey dad's home and all this kind of stuff. And then like if I was home too long, he's like, no man, you ain't supposed to be here. You're not supposed to be telling me what to do. It's just me and mom, right. you know. And I was like. Um, and I, you know, like, yeah, I, I, I found it entertaining, but at the same time, it's like, eh, you know, it's time to, time to have this family together. I was, uh, always, I got one of my first tattoos I got, it's, it's a bad tattoo, but it's a, uh, it's a mermaid sitting on the anchors on my right calf and in the tattoo shop, it, um, had, had, had the breast exposed and I told the artist, I said, Hey man, go ahead and, um, cover, cover up the breast. Cause you know, you know, and he's like, are you sure why you want to do that? And I said, you know, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a dad, you know, I'm gonna be a dad and I don't want to have to explain why I have, you know, mermaid breast, you know, on my leg to my kid. So I've, I've always been, that's one of those things I always, I always wanted to be a father. Um, I think that was really pushed by my dad. He was just, he's a great dude. Um, by today's standards, I don't know if he would have been judged as a great father, but he's a great father to me. And the time I spent with that, that guy was, was pretty awesome. Um, you know, he worked on the road. A lot and in the summer times um i'd go on on the road with him and we'd we'd have again have our own little adventures you know uh, i'm just going going i just can remember going through kentucky going like around the kentucky dairy with him i remember going to dollywood with him you know being in up in the smoky mountains when he wasn't working we were doing something and and um and so I, I think he's always inspired me to be, I always wanted to be a dad because of him. And, and I think that was one of the big motivators getting out of this. That was the big motivator was this more family than anything. So, so you, you get out after six years and you decide to do what, what what's the first thing you decide to do if, for, for at least an occupation? Cause you still have to make money for your yeah. family. Get a job, man. Uh, uh, man, uh, I was, I had a lot of, uh, training for, uh, AT&T, uh, phone systems. Um, so, um, 
I was just sitting in and uh, my very first job out of the military, first couple jobs out of the military, it's kind of funny because they were on the road working. Um, so I still wasn't home a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first one was a, a work for cell tower company. Uh, I was supposed to be doing more programming of, uh, all the computer stuff on the inside, but I ended up like, like anything else, they don't tell you the whole job and ended up climbing cell towers and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, I don't like this, uh, you know, being up two, 300 feet in the air. Um, it's like, this is not what I wanted. Then I, uh, uh, another job opportunity come up, uh, to work on a big project for Walmart, doing some telecommunication and audio visual stuff. Started it. I did that for a while and I ended up being lucky doing that because the initial area I did was the Houston area. So I was just, I was home, you know, so I would work nights, but I was home, you know, during the day with my wife and kid. And then it was just, it was just off and on telecommunications jobs. Uh, then, uh, at one point I put the coin for the, uh, fire cat. I was kind of missing the, I didn't like the nine to five stuff. Uh, I just, it's like, this is, this is not what I thought it would be. Uh, and I was kind of missing the military, like how the military was the, you know, construction was different than that. So for lack of a better term, missing kind of like the brotherhood almost, you know? So I flipped a coin for, uh, to go to the fire academy, police academy, Atlanta on police academy. I went through, I kept working and I went to the police academy at night, the local community college. And then just after doing that and going through multiple hiring processes, and I, I just realized that Law enforcement was not the way to go. Um, so I went back into the telecommunications again for a short stint. Civil service exam came up for the Houston fire department. I took it and for um, my first time taking that civil service exam, which is crazy. It, um, George R. Convention Center, George R. Brown Convention Center in Houston is huge convention center and we would it would fill up four or five six thousand people taking and civil service them at one time and like man how am i job here you know this is crazy so many people but i ended up getting a phone call and like and i started the process and i guess it was a probably a six-month process to go through everything and um started uh, their fire academy in december of 2007 so why why do you think because you've been there since 16 almost 17 years yeah why do you think that that was right. the thing that that stuck why do you think the fire department what what is it about the fire department oh. that makes you say that's it for me it was my very very first house fire well okay so i was an old at I was an old ass rookie. I was, I was 31 years old. Uh, you weren't old dude. Um, so I can't, well, 
Yeah. <laughs> I'll argue on that to, one. To some, I, some, no, I, I know. I'm well, kidding well, with you. Well, yeah, I know. But I came into the fire department with, um, I came in the fire department with some life experience. Yes, you did. Uh, unlike some, some, rook, some rookies don't come in the fire department with life experience. Um, so, uh, it was in my first couple, a couple, like second or third shift, I made my first house fire and I remember getting in, getting in, I was riding, I was riding first line, riding nozzle. I don't know, everybody calls it different things. I jumped in and I, my, my eyes, eyeballs had to be saucers cause I remember the engine chauffeur, which good dude, he looked at me and he said, Hey, slow down. And I, and I just like nodded and I, you know, it's like, don't, you know, just slow down mm -hmm. and when, you know, got, got dressed up and, you know, it was as soon as he pulled out on the pad, he says, it's right around the corner. And, uh, I don't remember a lot of it. Um, I don't. I don't remember going there. I don't re really remember pulling lot. I remember going in. I remember hitting the fire. I me remember uh, the ladder coming in behind us and just working the uh, the pipe poles, the New York hooks, like you know, little hacksaws and ripping the the uh, ceiling down. Yeah. And then I rem at one point I was like, my knees are on fire i look down it looks like i'm in a big barbecue pit you know and i'm like holy shit and i jump up and I, you know start spraying all around but but while all this chaos was going on i'm like holy shit i found it this is this is it this is this you know not looking back i'm in you know i am in like flynn and i'm just i'm do what i can to to do this job and that was that was the beginning of a career you know so <clears throat> how does it progress for you how does that you know obviously you start at like most of like any of us do you're you're a bucket firefighter you're riding on the nozzle you're right you're, you're doing the grunt work you're doing well it's not really grunt work because nothing gets better until you know that that person uses uses a tool and puts some fire out but how long right. do you stay in that position? Where do you go from there? And, and what are you doing now? Well, um, I came out of the academy, uh, and I, uh, you know, we get due to your, when you're academy, do your, you get to, uh, pick the you want to go to. And the, and the station I picked, uh, another one of my classmates picked it, it was, uh, 25s. It's in a, a historical third ward of Houston. It's a pretty um, historical neighborhood. And, um, but I got sent to 55s because the captain didn't want two rookies on the pumper at the same time, which is totally understandable. So uh, you do, when you, when you come off the tower, the academy, we call it phase testing. Uh, it, when I, when I went through, it was three months now, six months, like, and so first phase is, is your, your own pumper. Second phase, if you're station with a ladder, they try to send you to the station with a ladder. So you at least get some, um, 
some ladder time and then at the third phase is uh your um you get credential EMS and all medieval ride all those things. Um uh, so I did my face testing at fifty fives. Um and I learned a lot there. When I first got there, uh they had just lost their uh their cancer playing good. Uh, so I was kind of there for the after, aftermath of that with them, um, the pumper chauffeur at the time, Greg, he was, he was riding the seat a lot. Um, so I was under his tutelage a lot until we got a captain and a good captain, uh, learned a lot from those guys there, um, which is funny. I end up. Continually off and on throughout my career, I've seen and worked with some of those guys still to today. Um, but after my face testing, I went to 25s and, um, at the time rookies were assigned to an ambulance for a year. Hmm. So I, uh, was assigned at, unfortunately at 25s at the time, they had two ambulances. And, um, so I was assigned to ambulance 525 for, I don't know, almost, almost a year. And, um, that's, that sucked really bad. Um, cause you're just running and gunning all day, but that's where I got, I learned a lot of street smarts. Mm. I learned how to deal with people. I, and with the third ward, it's, it's such a, not an odd neighborhood, but you can go, you can go, you can go from poverty to million dollar homes in a couple streets. So, um, so you learn, you learn how to navigate dealing with people and different problems on the ambulance, it, it, it taught me a lot. It taught me how to really talk to people. Cause like, if I go in public now, I don't, I don't, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to talk to you. I don't have conversations with people, but I get, but I can walk into someone's home that needs something and I can just start firing up, building rapport really quick. What's going on. And, um, and that time on that ambulance really taught me how to do that because you were just thrown you're just, it's like sink or swim. You know, you're just thrown into it. It's like, figure it out. And, uh, it was just you and Amlet chauffeur going out there, trying to, trying to fix all these problems. Uh, fives, um, I had, a our pumper chauffeur, uh, he, in one, how many years did you drive engine 25? He, 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 he drove engine 25 for. 25 plus years, almost 30 years, I think. Uh, man, he, this salty old dude that when you first meet him, you think he's going to eat you alive. Um, first day coming from 55s to 25s, man, I, at that time we could wear station t-shirts, man, I had my 25s t-shirt on, man. I was like, man, God, I have, you know, pride, you know, uh, uh, 25, they call themselves the firewalkers, first in, last out, all, you know, all that 
all that, that cheesy fire department crap. Um, and sitting there across the table talking to senior pipeman, he was just giving me a lowdown. Okay. This is what, this is what we do. This is how we do things. You know, just walking me through things. And another, the guy relieved off the ambulance came walking out of, out of the locker room. And then I hear Jim's voice right behind me. He's like, Hey, Root, I give you the rest of that. And I mean, that dude just froze like, oh, 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 oh. So, you know, go take that fucking thing off. You know, it's like, and man, he ran in the locker room. Well, I'm 31 years old, man. You know, and I just start sinking in the chair to try to hide what t-shirt I'm wearing. Cause yeah, I didn't have permission. And I kind of had to describe Jim. Jim's like six, three, bald head, just good old show, you know, just gray show for mustache, you know, being, I don't know, day older than God, but man, he was, he was. Big, big dude, big worked out all the time, you know, and and I was like, just he could be intimidating if you didn't know him, and and I was just stuck in that chair. Oh God, don't just don't let him see me, don't let him see me. Um, and next thing I know, I just hear him breathing over my head, and I just look up, and you're in a new rook, and I go, yes, sir, and he goes. All right. And he walks off and I'm just like, God damn it. All right. So, you know, I survived day one, you know, but that, that dude, uh, I ended up, I ended up being with him like six years, I guess. I mean, we ended up carpooling together, but I mean, he taught, he taught me, he taught me how to like, luckily how to be a chauffeur later, later on. You know, when, when I promoted the, we call it engineer, you know, driver, whatnot. Uh, I just tend to use the old term chauffeur. Um, but he, he really taught me how, how to be that. And when I got promoted, it was, I, I didn't need a transition period. I like, I know what to do. I know do the silver badge leadership thing because I've all, I also went from rookie to senior pipemen with close to the same crew as you can and then promoted pretty much out of 25s to, you know, to chauffeur. So, but yeah, so I was, I was at 25s for six years, uh, you know, made, made a bunch of fires. I was just telling my wife today how, no, she was telling me that she was surprised that I was right on how we don't make fires like we used to. I'm like, yeah, we don't. And I was oh. talking about right before I left 25s, we call it the rain of fire because it was like, it got to a point where like, can we not make a fire today? That would be awesome. It'd be awesome if we just could do that. And it, you know, usually, you know, as firemen, you want to come in, you want to make that fire. You want to make that, you know, do your job at, at that point we're just so beat down for making fires that we're like ah, i i can just go have a break today but i i got to learn i got to learn i felt felt like i just got to learn so much on the inner workings of a crew since i i was a part of a crew for so long and you, you know guys get promoted you know you know senior plan get promoted and then you know you, you get put as Jen called it, you, you get 
he put you in the helm. And, um, and that was a title that you earned and he would fire you quickly for being a senior pipeman. I remember we, the rookie was a senior pipeman by the end of the day. One day we had just pissed him off so bad, but that was also a game. See, see how much we could piss him off. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, uh, I remember plugs, checking plugs with Jim. I don't know what I said to him, but I pissed him off. And so he dropped us off at a, at a plug to check. And then he drove to the next one. And so we went down this, the damn street, the was a major street in, in third ward and checking every plug, but we had to walk plug to plug, to plug, to plug, because we were just being, you know, smart asses in the back running our mouths. And he's like, Nope, I'm done with you. And, um, <laughs> and it was funny because he thought he was teaching us a lesson and the whole time we were just laughing. So, but, um, it, it was just things like that learning, learning, like there was ways to deal with people and learn you know, besides just yelling at somebody or punishment wise, you, you could deal, you could deal with people in a way, especially, you know, other firemen that you could like get your point across, like, Hey, this is important. Or, Hey, you're going to listen to me or you're going to learn to shut up or whatever. And, you know, and waves of, of, of implementing them as when I promoted to, uh, at what, at what point in, in your career did the, uh, did the LODD happen that, that we spoke about? Oh, that happened to let me see. Was it 2009? Um, so, I, cause I gave you, I, I remember giving you the wrong date, the wrong year. And I don't know why I gave you the wrong year. I think it was 2009. It was yeah, April 12th, 2009. Um, and you want to set the stage a little bit for us? Yeah, I, I, I can do that. Um, uh, I know when, uh, when people talk about PTSD, you know, um, some, some, uh, some of these memories are so vivid. Like, I mean, right now I'm, I can go, I, I'm like viewing them on little different TV screens. Like, you know, I mean, I'm right there in the moment. Um, but some of it's kind of like sketchy. Uh, but, uh, it was the Saturday. So we were on shift on, we came on shift April 11th. It was Saturday before Easter. It was filled the boot. Um, again, like, like I was telling you earlier about the two ambulance things, we had uh, we had so many rookies at our station that not enough spots for them, so they would just send us. We we call it filling in. Um, so so we had to fill in. So it was it was my turn to go fill in. So I went to uh, I went to thirty fives that day. Um, fill the boot. So we're doing fill the boot. Um, it was this, you know, of course, Texas in April, mm -hmm. uh, humid, um, we were wearing our blue button up shirt. So that, that made it even better in human weather wearing that, those things. And, um, but we did that. I remember, I don't remember much of the day. I just remember doing fill the booth and then, um, Another one of those neighborhoods, you're just going to run, run, run. You just make, so I remember making runs, following and getting them laid down. And 
I know all the guys at 35s, you know, cause that was in my district. Um, and, and, you know, of course they had an open dorm room. So shenanigans started, you know, at some point at night, but I, one thing I can remember that dorm was so cold. I was freezing. I was shivering under my blanket. Like I am not going to sleep, you know, I'm not going to get any sleep tonight because it's so freaking cold in here. And then, uh, sometime right after that, I remember the guys goofing off wrestling and whatever. Uh, we got popped for a second alarm for, for fire in the neighboring district in, in 26's territory. And off we went. So we're going and we're gearing up, getting ready, you know, getting ready. And uh, I remember them calling for engine 26. I can remember thinking in my head, it's like, man, because, you know, first people get busy or whatever, or they're not listening to radio or whatnot. And people are calling, calling, calling. I'm like, man, just answer damn people. Why is everybody goofing off and all this kind of stuff? And to the answer radio, I can remember saying that in my head as we're going there. But as soon as we pull up, our chief, uh, our district chief, uh, all, called us up to Alpha Side. He was Alpha Side chief. And I can, I, I remember them raising the ladder up to, um, for, uh, I just remember raising the ladder up and I'm kind of looking up, watch, you know, seeing the ladder go up. And then I look down and I see my chief walk out of a door that had fire blowing out of it in a helmet in a bunker coat. I'm like, that's when like, like, you know, it woken up or midnight haze or whatever kind of went away. I'm like, well, all right, what the hell's going on? And he walked straight over us and he said, Hey, when a ladder knocks this fire down, we got to go find two firefighters. And I'm like, what? He's like, we have to go find two firefighters. I'm like, are they lost? And then he just said, and he, he kind of gave me that, just, just a look. Can't really explain it. He says, we have to go find two firefighters. I'm like, all right, chief. Cool. So, um, we're a mixed bag crew that day. A pipeman was driving. I don't know if he was the ambulance chauffeur or the engine chauffeur, but a chauffeur was riding up. And then me and another pipeman I've known for a long time, we were in the, we're in the back. So again, I mean, not that a, an officer would done anything different because, uh, the, the chauffeur riding up was a good dude. He ended up promoting to uh captain and phenomenal officer, but was just kind of a mixed bag crew that day. I remember, uh, little Joe, the other pipeman who grabbed the line and got it ready. And then we went in at some point, she said, go. Go in. So we went in behind another crew. That crew went off to the left and there's fire to the right. So we went off to the right. And then, and I was, I was backing little Joe up and I was back in and I looked over into the living room and then I just I saw that crew had a firefighter and carrying him out. I'm like, what? You know? I'm trying to process it all that, you know, and I'm like, what is going on? What the fuck is going on? 
And then I, they, they went out and kind of put him out and I could still see out the front door and I'm feeding Joe line and I look out again and they're ripping everything off this, you know, the firefighter and they start CPR and his face was, uh, you, you just know when somebody's burnt, burnt up, I, 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 his face looked ashy for lack of a better term. We continue kind of fighting fire, uh, the chauffeur riding up, he pulled off and he started searching the living room because we, there was another one. I, I remember he was saying, there's another one to find another one to find. And he was looking in the living room and, um, I told Joe, I was like, Hey man, you got this. I'm gonna go help Goodrow real quick. He's like, yeah, yeah. So Goodrow was searching the living room. So I walked, I kind of leapfrogged him. And went with like a living room and then like double door, uh, a formal dining room. And I kind of just stood there because most of drywall was not knocked, knocked down. Big open living room. You know, you can move furniture. You know, where is he? How, you know, and like at the whole time, like you should be able to see this guy. You know, like if another one missing, he's got to be here somewhere. I mean, and I'm looking and I'm looking, I'm looking. So I, I walked around, I went to the right and walked around the, the, the dining room table. And as I came back around the dining room table where I was standing, I was under the, uh, the drywall and the, uh, attic insulation. I saw the, uh, striping around his ankle on his bunker pants. And man, I just like zip, you know, boom. And I started pulling all drywall and everything off of me. And, uh, I'm like, I'm here, man. I'm here, man. I'm just talking to him. I got you. I got you. I got you. And I yell at, I yell at Goodwill. I'm like, I found him. I found him. And so Goodwill comes over and like, help me get him up. So Goodwill grabs his pack. Cause he's kind of laying face down with his arms spread out in front of him. And, uh, Goodwill started pulling him and I kind of, started pushing him, but he was just, he was so stiff. Like his arms didn't even move. Another crew ended up coming in to help us get him and, and help get him out. And I remember pulling him out and, uh, the same thing. We kind of just dropped him off out front and we went back in to help Joe, you know, cause there's still fire that need to be knocked down and all that kind of shit. So, but I was, and I, I say I'm so stupid because I kept looking back and I, cause I was just feeding hose to Joe or, and all that. And I kept looking back and again, uh, it, I ended up finding the captain, um, and the same thing, they pulled his face mat and same thing. Just, you just can tell he was burned up, you know, ashy and all that. And, you know, they're working on him. And, um, and that's, uh, that's something I still see to today. And we ended up in, uh, get relieved at going out front. I, I, I guess at some point he must stop, stop working on them. And, you know, but I guess at that point they couldn't move them from our, where we dropped them. They couldn't turn off their pass devices on their air packs. So we're just kind of sitting out in the front yard. The pass is going off. 
I don't know how long we were there till they could transport them. It, it was it was a while because people on the scene were getting 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 pretty pissed, as firemen do. You know, like what the fuck? You know, what's going on? Why we transported these guys? All this kind of stuff. Uh, I'm assuming arson division got there and, and did whatever investigation they had to do. I was just. I was just kind of, I, I, only thing I can remember is when I came, when we got, got relieved and it's just kind of sitting out in the front yard on my knees. I, uh, I just had pulled, pulled off my hood and mask. I hadn't pulled off my jacket or pack yet. I'm just kind of sitting there and I'm just like, you know, dazed, like, you know, like, what the fuck, you know, what, what? you know, it's like, I don't know if I was not able to process it. Um, and then, you know, the whole taunt, just, you just hear, I just, just deep, fucking deep asses, man, just going off and off and off. Just, and, um, we eventually, they eventually could move them. We did a wall on her, load them up in the ambulances again. I mean, this builds my dreams still today. Them goddamn tea passes going off. Um, you know, but the ambulances pulled off and. We eventually kind of went back to the engine 35 and, and at that end of like, and like, all right, they're going to load y'all up on buses and they're going to take you to arson division because everybody, you got to get statements and all this kind of shit. And then I just realized, I'm like, oh shit, I left my phone at, at the station. And, um, you know, it's Easter morning now. And, you know, and for my oldest kid at the time, one of his favorite holidays was Easter. I'm like, you know, fuck. You know, like, man, this is not good. You know, and I'm like, you know, pretty much telling myself that, you know, I'm I'm, I'm going to fucking ruin Easter. You know, you know, my kid, this is one of my kid's favorite holidays. And, you know, I'm going to fucking ruin it now. And, um. And I had to borrow somebody's phone so I could call my wife. And when she answered the phone, I broke down. Because she, she didn't know who was calling her. And I was like, we lost one. Hey, it's me. We lost one. And, and I, I probably spit out, you know, I, I left my phone at the station. We lost one. And she, she's like, what? And I said, we, we, we lost two firemen. I don't know when I'm going to be home. Just do Easter. I get back to the station, I'll call you. And she, you know, and, and again, I'm woken, waking her out of a sleep, you know, and she's like, oh, oh, okay, okay. Um, I remember they loaded us up in Metro buses. They took us to Arson Division. I just kind of sat there, you know, I was just, I was, I was in my bucker pants. I never took my damn bucker pants off. And, um, you gave a statement. And then I remember going back. I remember going back I was to the station and we're kind of just, somebody came, I think somebody came and picked us up at the arson division. I remember going back in a tr in somebody's like personal truck. It was just weird. Like I think people were trying to be normal and having normal conversation. I just like, it was just, I can't explain it beyond. It was just like a very weird atmosphere. And I, uh, Got back to the stage and loaded my, my my stuff up and I went home. Everything my wife owed me and all that. 
and uh, she's kind of my rock. Uh, she's uh, she's my lighthouse. So like, I always find my way home because of her. I just took a shower. And I think I went to sleep. And you know, and then you know, after years of talking, my wife about this. Like, I guess that day she had had told everyone, like her family and all that, like, don't you know, don't ask him a question about it. We're not fucking talking about it. We're just gonna we're just gonna have a nice Easter day, and we're not gonna talk about it. I don't remember much of that day. Everybody started calling, checking on me. And then I remember at one point, I started getting very annoyed by phone calls. And one of the firefighters at 25, so I was pretty close with, I'm still close with today. He called me and I'm like, I'm like, God damn it, Donnie. I just I wish everybody stopped fucking calling me. Just fucking tired of these phone calls. And like, he kind of snapped me back into reality. He's like, he's like, he's like, hey man, they're your crew. They're worried about you. They want to take care of you. You know, and I, I guess it snapped me back and, you know, you're right. I'm being an asshole. And after that, I think, you know, it was, it, it was always, are you, you know, my crew, you know, like, you okay and all that, you know, and of course you go and tell them, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I'm okay. You know, cause I, I don't think I, I don't think I, I processed it, processed it at all. Um, the only thing the fire department did was, uh, I think my next day home when I went back, they, everybody was involved in the fire. They took us down the academy and set us in a big circle and everybody's told what they saw. And my, my district chief was sitting across from me from that circle. I, and you know, I was, I was hurting, but. What and what really bothered me about the entire fire still bothers me to the day was when I went to step in that dining room, I was probably standing on top of Captain Harlow. And I didn't know. And that still bothers me today that I stood on top of him. I don't know why, but it does. But anyway, we're hey, the good old SISM program. Had us all down there in a circle talking. I didn't say shit. Cause that district chief I saw in front of me, that was walking out of out of fire, you know, with just a helmet and a bunker coat on. I am not gonna be weak in front of that man. I mean, he was damn good district chief. But you know, I was not gonna be I was not gonna be weak in front of him. So I didn't say anything. And Kind of after that, man, it was just like life went on. There was no checks. There was no suggestion of finding help. You know, no follow-up from the department or anything like that. And I guess that's, I didn't really ever talk about it either. And that was the beginning of my development into becoming an asshole for a very long time. Hey guys, quick break right here just to check in and thank each of you for listening to the show. Your support has been paramount and I appreciate all of you. I have one request though. I need you to share the show with everyone you know, 
help me get the word out and spread these stories as far and as wide as we can. While you're at it, please leave a review of the show wherever you happen to listen. Feel free to reach out to me at any time to share your story, to talk, or to pass on suggestions. Let's get on with the rest of the show. You know, I think the only thing after, I mean, I, I guess I had to do all the line of duty uh, interviews after who all does all the investigations. Then the uh, investigators asking me, I did multiple interviews. And every time they would ask me about Ed Harlow's mask and gloves. And still just that, I guess he was pretty, pretty burnt up. And, um, and I, I guess his mask was pretty messed up and his gloves were pretty burnt up too. But my mind had relaxed, turned his, uh, redacted all that. Because only thing I could remember, only thing I could tell them is his hands were black and his face was black. Like, I can't, you know, I'm glad I can't remember that because I still have the visions of him laying in the front yard. Both of them laying in the front yard. But I mean, that's the only thing I ever did for years talking about that was, was those interviews. And then I didn't talk about it. You said that was the start of you becoming an asshole for a very long time. Yeah. What do you yeah. mean by that? I was this man. I was this. I idled at Grumpy. I still say I idled at Grumpy, but I, I mean, you know, very irritable. You know, I was like, you know, very short with people. People piss me off. You're going to piss me off fairly quickly. And, <clears throat> and, and if I got pissed off, which didn't take much, you knew it. And it, I, I, I couldn't shut it off. I couldn't shut off being mad. You know, and I spilled over into my home. I, knowing now, you know, as we talked about, uh, you know, I, I call it my journey because that's what it is. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's just another adventure journey in my life. You know, it's a lot of cognitive thinking eras, um, you know, um, also, you know, I've learned about communication, part of communication, the story you tell about things that are happening. Mm -hmm. And it was always negative for me, you know, you know, like, I mean, for lack of better words, you know, like, you know, somebody would say something instead of me listening or whatever, or. Or whatever, it would just, that initial just, just get mad. It's like, you know, this motherfucker, you know, you know, you know, over the smallest fucking thing. Like this motherfucker can't wash dishes. What the fuck's wrong with him? You know, why, why is he such a fuck up? You know, and it's, it is just this constant negative spirals of thinking in which, you know, this comes out. You know, being an asshole, you're not, you're, you're not taking any lunch. You're not thinking about things. You're not, it's the opposite of what I do now. You know, I, I, I take, take judgment, replace that with curiosity. I didn't have any curiosity. Yeah. It was just a bunch of, you know, and, um, and, 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 it, and that's what it was an asshole. Cause I, I mean, my station now, um, 
my senior pipeman, you know, pretty tight, worked together a while. You know, he was talking about when I, when I drove the engine, you know, they would, you know, he was like, man, drove the engine. Whew, that dude was an asshole. Like, you know, I stayed away from him. So it was, it was it's like all those, all those symptoms, the, all the symptoms of PTSD, uh, or complex trauma, whatever you want to call it, they just developed into my personality trait. You know, I was the grumpy chauffeur, you know, the hard ass, you know, I, I, you know, if you messed up, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of question why you messed up. There was just straight up ass chewing and then, and then you're just a piece of shit. And, and it was, and I never, un, you know, and it was just such a slow develop to that. Always like, you know, my wife's like, you need to get help. You need to get, get help. I'm like, well, you know, you're just being dramatic or whatever. And I don't know I one day she was just telling me, you need to get help. You need to get help. And there's a saw it in her eye. I don't know why I realized I need to get help, but I just saw it. I remember being just, I just remember being so mad. I just went sat in my truck. And I and I and I honestly think I I started, I went to find help was in spite. It wasn't like I'm gonna go get better. No, I'm gonna show her. I'm gonna show her. I'm gonna go get help. I'm gonna show her, you know. And then when I went and got help. You know, that's just when, that's when, you know, looking back, I'm like, ah, you know, such an asshole, you know, you know, not, not only the people I work with, but, you know, my wife, my kid, you know, and, 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 and moments I was proud of, you know, I'm like, I'm just like, so disgusted, you know, I was proud of the way I treated people. I look back on it now and I'm just like disgusted at myself, you know? And it was a, like, it was a badge of honor to be that, that salty chauffeur, you know, it was just, but, um, kind of real bit, I guess the years of not dealing with it, it, it started coming out. I guess I start at this point, I started realizing I'm kind of, I was kind of messed up was I could not be in the bay. People start checking off their, their packs in the morning. Like I would go instantly back. I'm just, I mean, just right there, you know, Hobbs and Harlow were laying in front of me. I could just see them. And so I developed a habit of coming in in the mornings. This is when I was driving the ambulance. So I'd come in the mornings, the guy on the firefighters on the ambulance with me, I would like in the back, Hey, you good. He's like, yeah, just go get your coffee. And I would go get my coffee. and Sitting there and once the air pack checkoffs and all that was all over with, I would go into the bay and, and start to kind of start my day. And I also, also started becoming very driven and training rookies. I, I do get joy out of training rookies, but I think my initial motivation of doing that was because I did. I have to do something to prevent a line of duty death from happening to another rookie again. You know, I had to do something. 
wasn't working on myself. So I, what I've come up with is that I, I just started training, you know, being a part of, part of training rookies, which developed into its own thing later down the road. Yeah. I've heard that before where you kind of like, if I don't do this, someone else is going to die. Yes. And it becomes an obsession. Yes. It becomes uh, and not to the point where we all train, but it's beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and again, it was like that, it, it, that session part beyond that, it was like, it was like the, um, you know, I was hard, you know, you know, like, like my foot just kicking their butts, you know, and it's like, you know, wasn't a very good teacher in the beginning. Uh, I developed into one, I think I, and it's, it's always a process and I'm always trying to get better at it now. Um, I'm always changing the way I do things, trying to find better ways of teaching. But at that moment in time, it was just like, I'm going to kick your ass, you know, and I'm going to make sure you never make a mistake, which is not the right way to do it. But at that time it was that obsession, you know, it was session driven. So. It wasn't anything good driving it. It was, it was just, I'm dealing with my trauma in the wrong way. And plus all, all this going on, I'm in busy houses. I'm not getting a lot of sleep. At, at one point I'm work, I'm working at three fire departments, you know? Um, so it's, it's not like, it's not like I'm getting any quality rest and may, and I think that was, if I just stay busy, I won't think about it, but fast forward. So I got promoted, I got promoted in 2014, uh, I drove an ambulance to th 2016 and I got engine 25, not in 25, 55, sorry. Um, and, uh, a firefighter that was at 55 when I was a rookie is now the, the captain only did. I went over there and drove him. This is when I really started realizing that I'm pretty fucked up again, you know, not around during air pack checkoffs a lot in the morning, the times that I up to my seat, the put my radio, you know, radio up or whatever I'm trying to get whatever I can to get, get out of there as quick as I could not to be around that shit. And then, uh, but I guess one day I stepped up to my seat, hang my radio up and they're checking off air packs. And I, I remember coming out of it cause I heard my buddy say this, but like, well, when I came out of it, out of seeing, you know, seeing my Hobbs and Harlow, my buddy's like, there he is. You're back. All right. I'm about to rewind a little bit for, oh, sorry. Right. But anyway, uh, cause I'm skipping around a lot. I'm sorry. All right. Um, uh, when I first got to 55, like my first day there, I had to ride the buddy that I was supposed to be driving was ride captain on a ladder. And so far, again, mix match crew, firefighter driving. And then I got, a, and, a, and then I have the rookie and we end up that day, my first day at 55, let's pump over, ride the seat. We make first in house fire. So, um, 
we go. We're the first ones there. Um, we jump out. The rookie tries to pull the the line off the wrong side, oh, the fire zone, the EO side, but he's trying to pull the line off on our side. Luckily, the firefighter driving, he grabbed he grabbed the uh, cross light, just kicked it toward him and stopped the rookie from doing that. So it's kind of like a snowball effect, you know, on that fire. It didn't start off good. Um, but we went inside, we started knocking the fire down. Fire was in an attic. Um, at some point I was trying to direct him where to put the hose and had to manually adjust him because he wasn't doing what I wanted him to do. And I, and I have to say, I was probably not articulating well what I wanted him to do it again because just probably got frustrated and got pissed off at him pretty quick. Um, something happened and we spun around and I ended up with the nozzle in my hand, the fire down that I wanted to knock down. And then I looked behind me I couldn't find a rookie. I saw my other firefighter that was um, Ryan plugged, and I was like, "Hey, where's the rookie?" He's like, "I don't know." And then I see my buddy, um, Captain. He's outside, so I walk out to him because they they had just finished cutting a hole. And I, "Hey, where's the rookie?" And he's like, "He's in the ambulance." I'm like, "What?" You know. This is after I've already searched frantically all through this house for his rookie. It's like, okay, God damn it. I lost a rookie. It's not good. This is not good. This is not good. And, um, and so like, all right, so I'll handle this in a minute. So I went back in, we finished up and came out. So as soon as I came outside, I started ripping, ripping off my pack and all that shit. And I'm just mumbling to myself the whole time. And, uh, this is. Now, the crew that was there, you know, friends I made that moved on from there, it's still a story. It's become a legend, I guess. It's just a funny story everybody likes to tell now. But the the latter show was like, I'll go talk to Rookie. He's like, no, no, I'm going to go talk to his mother. You know, I'm going to go talk to him. I'm going to talk to him. And I just started storming down that way. My buddy, that captain's talking to the district chief. And district chief's like, who is that? My hair's flying everywhere because I got I got kind of long, long hair. You know, I got sideburns. That's kind of part of my identity of my sideburns. Everybody said my sideburns were on fire at the time as I'm walking down the street. And I'm storming down the street. And almost the entire crew is in ambulance with this rookie. And I just yank open the doors. I don't, I don't ask him, Hey, are you okay? What happened or anything? I, I just yanked open doors like, fuck here, motherfucker. You ever leave a fire without telling me again, I'm going to fucking kick your ass. And it's like slammed the doors and I stormed off again. And, and again, this crew, this crew, this is my first day there. None of these, none of these guys know me except the captain. And so they're all thinking this dude's a, you know, dick, this dude's an asshole, you know? And so, and I'm going back to the station and we're all sitting in 
kind of sitting there uh, watching TV or whatever later on in the evening, night. And then I'm good to tell my story about the Hobbs and Hollow fire. And one of my really good friends to this day, Cody, after I told a story, he's probably one of the only people beside my wife that's ever said anything like this. But as soon as I told my story and I just kind of sitting there quiet, he's like, I'm sorry that happened to you. For somebody to say that, you know, it's like, it's like, it's, it's such a special moment in my life. Just somebody else recognized that I was hurting or I had something. Everybody has bad things happen to them, but somebody to, to validate, yes, that's bad. Or, you know, I'm sorry that happened to you because I can't recall anyone else telling me that besides like my wife. And then after that, I kind of, I became a lesser asshole, I guess, to the crew after that, because they kind of understood, at least they understood where I'm coming from that, you know, I thought I lost a rookie, you know, I had this happen to me in the past, all this kind of stuff. And then I guess I was on Cody's radar after that. He started noticing my little, like when I was becoming overwhelmed with some, he would know my little physical reaction and stuff. Like I, I, I was like this down by my side and he would, he would notice, he would notice those things. He'd either make a joke about it to bring me out of it or, you know, or, or, or something to that nature, you know, just like, Hey, Hey, it's, you know, you're good, man. You're good or whatever. And so, um, going, we're back to in the pumper when Cody's like, oh, there he is again. He's one of the few people that ever acknowledged they saw those things, which felt like I had somebody on my side that I didn't have to, I didn't, again, at the time, it's still being weak talking about it, you know, not telling a story. Cause I would tell a story because I, th I think it's a, a helpful story for people, especially young, young guys in the fire department to realize what this job, what can happen to you in this job. But, but I didn't, you know, but to say that it's, it, that it's hurting me or, you know, I'm, I'm fucked up because of it or however you want to put it. Cody gave me that comfort that we ever happened to be at the time being weak and talking about it. And that crew I had 55s was, is, is one of those unique crews. I feel in my career that, you know, it's, it's, it's a once in a lifetime crew. We were just, I think we trauma bonded so much together. I ain't noticed running the streets. I mean, when I got that engine, I can remember sitting on an MVA at 3 a.m., like just staring off in the distance going, I don't think I upgraded my life getting off ambulance to come to this, running, you know, 16, 18, whatever calls a day. And it's just the memories I have from the crew and and as I, I, I like to say, screaming down Cullen Boulevard to, to calls. I wouldn't replace it to be somewhere else to get sleep. 
you know, or, or not run as many calls. But uh, we uh, eventually got a rookie there. And I don't remember this. I don't remember it happening at all. But apparently I was doing my thing, avoiding, you know, air packs being checked off. And I don't know why, why he came in and decided to say something about me not being out there doing whatever. Mm. But he came in, he came into the kitchen lounge and kind of said something. And apparently I went off and I went off pretty bad to the point like, you know, he damn, damn near cried. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't know. I didn't know. No. And I, I can only imagine the anger outburst I had. It was around that time. Like I started to realize that like, I am seriously messed up and I don't know what to do. And so, um, kind of, I kind of stumbled through. Uh, through it for a long time. The, the way I, I started handling it is at some point when we were training rookies, I would tell the story where I had the opportunity to tell the story in a place that the story, I just didn't go tell everyone the story, you know, uh, but if it's like, Hey, this is a good opportunity to tell the story, it has some precedence to what we're doing or whatever. I, I would tell it and, and just kind of telling that the story over that at times gave me, it gave me some power back over that trauma. That was the beginning of healing, but my real healing didn't come to three years ago. When again, going back to my wife saying, you know, you know, I, I went to find help in spite, but through that, I found, found a therapist and I started learning to become a better version of myself. The good thing about my therapist was she, she, because my ADHD, she figured out I'll, I like doing, I like rabbit holes. So she would plant ideas for me to go down these rabbit holes and research you know, she would, she would use that hyper-focus for good, you know, and, and man, I would come back to her next session and I'll be just like, you know, you know, just rattling things off and did it, you know, and all this kind of things and like, you know, and like at when it's like, oh, well, we have all the information, you know, how are we going to start implementing this stuff? Got into working on being mindful. And, 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 you know, I learned still to this day, if I get pissed off, no matter the coping, coping mechanisms that I have, the techniques, the knowledge I have, it's too late. Can't pull, pull out. But I've learned, learned how to, you know, I've learned how to be more mindful, become overwhelmed. I learned when I just wake up to know that it's, this is going to be a bad day. Like I just wake up angry. It's like, okay, 
So how am I not going to hurt people's? I said, I'm just going to get angry today. How am I not going to hurt people's feelings? And, and it's, and that's kind of like my journey now is growing in that direction and very open with my journey because I, because I, you know, through this podcast and talking to other people, yeah, just, you know, realize how much we don't talk. Last year or so, uh, I was at my, uh, I work at a, on the side for a suburb fire department and one of their battalion chiefs there is a really good friend of mine. I've known him since he drove an engine at that fire department talking about things. And I was just kind of like, um, it was kind of a busy day. I think it was about nine, 10 o'clock at night. We were just all in the lounge kitchen area. I was sitting at the, the guy, kind of like the kitchen bar, look overlooking the kitchen sink. And I was just kind of talking about my journey and the things I've learned and, and then, and then it, it's kind of, it was kind of, and, and this is one thing I love about the fire department is me and him were having a conversation, an open conversation. And then another guy sat down, a younger fireman sat down. He didn't say anything, but he was listening. Then one of their lieutenants came in and sat down on the, on the countertop and kind of shared. And it was, it, it's all kind of like, it was the same thing. It was like, I go home, but you know, from it, from here and, and I need time to become dad or whatever. But then, but then you take that time and you feel guilty, you know, because you're taking that time and you're now you're, now you're beating yourself because you have to take that 30 minutes to hour to trip, you know, become dad. And, and, you know, and I'm listening and I'm listening kind of like these stories and I'm like, I'm like, do you see where you're going wrong? And they're like, like, you have to allow yourself that time because either you allow yourself that time to become dad or you just spend the next four days at home feeling guilty because you took an hour to yourself. Now you, now you, now you screwed up four days with your family. I'm like, and, and so it's like, you know, or, or they'll talk about stuff and I'll start talking about cognitive thinking errors or being mindful. And I don't, I don't want to be that guy that just going to therapy or whatever. And, you know, and like, you know, I know how to fix you, to fix anyone. I just, I just like, Hey, there's these things out there that you can learn about. And this little conversation I've been open about my journey and talking to people, people that started going to counseling and, and learning, you know, whatever they need, need to learn to become a better version of something, how to be a better dad. And, you know, and like, and now we do buddy checks and we, you know, we're like, you know, you know, Hey man, you seem off today. You all right. And it's like, and, and of this, I never had that. The Hobbs and Harlow. Oh, I, I, I'm, I remember in therapy that, uh, my therapist just kind of like looked at me one day and like the fire department abandoned you, he just abandoned you. And, they just let you let, you know, 
left you out for the wolves. And I fought that. I was like, no, they didn't abandon me. They didn't. But the more I thought about it, I mean, that's how I felt for a long time. I was alone. I was abandoned. Now I'm more, I'm, I'm, now, you know, with all this, all of it's not weakness. It's not talking about it and not like, hey, this bugs me or, or whatever. It's just, it's accepting that, it, you know, this bugs me or whatever. Okay. I know it bugs me. All right. If it continues to bother me, I need to talk about it. Me doing that and me being open with that. I've seen it help other people. And, and that's kind of the reason I've, I reached out to you to do this podcast is like, again, and I think a bunch of guys have said it on here. If, if I could help one other person with something, that's what I, you know, what I want to do and, um, or prevent somebody going down the same road that I I'm going through. Like, you know, I'm repairing 10 years, 10 plus years of way I acted as a, a husband and as a father, you know, and, and I don't want the young guys to go through that. I don't want anyone to go through that. You know, again, it, 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 it it's a journey and, a, and it's like, I told my uh, therapist, it's like, I feel like every time I take two steps forward, I take 18 steps backward. She's gone like, welcome to life, you know? And I, I love, tells me out on my shit all the time. And she says, what do you tell your rookies? What do you tell your rookies to do now? And I, and I, and I'm like, at the time she asked me this, I just got this frozen in thought. What do you tell me you make mistakes? And I, and then, and, I, and then it's like, you know, bing, light bulb goes off and I'm like, what in incremental changes can I make to improve my previous performance? And she goes, exactly. So what, what small things can you do to be better next time this happens? So, I, so my thing I'm working on now is not beating myself up. I'm not doing it right. It's like, just how can I be better next time? How can I avoid getting in a, you know, getting mad or, or getting overwhelmed or whatever. And, um, how can I communicate things better to my wife? Cause I have a very hard time articulating things. Like I want to talk, but I just, I can't talk. I physically can't say things sometimes. So it's, it's trying to find that, that space to be able to do those things. I'm kind of rambling now, so I, I don't no, know what direction you're, you're, you want to you're go. You're good. I, normally I would, you know, I know we have a couple of subjects I want to talk to you about other than, than the LODD and the, and the ramification the after effects, but I'm rapidly, I have one lozenge left and I'm, and my throat keeps, I keep coughing, I keep sniffing. And so I'm thinking maybe if you're okay with it, we'll, we'll kind of wrap up this section of your story. And then can we come back for a part two and talk about the other things? Cause I know I want to talk about your kids and I, I really want to delve into ADHD with you a little bit. Yeah. Um, especially yeah, with, I mean, yeah. with that adult, you know, th that adult kind of, uh, discovery for you and the things you've, you've, yeah. the tools you've learned and how you've learned them. And, uh, 
Yeah. And how you find life yeah. in the fire service with, with that and some of the authority stuff that we talked about when we first spoke. Right. Um, but I also want to make sure that I, I give the audience a conversation in, when we get to that point. And, and I don't know if my, my yeah. throat and my voice is up to a conversation right now. No, no, man. That's cause yeah, that's one of the, uh, groups I'm in, a lady reached out, reached out to me for information other than some, some, some things for school. I think I overwhelmed her by the information I provided. <laughs> so it's a, so yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, the ADHD thing could be one conversation and then like the kids and the advocating for school stuff can be another. I mean, there's a lot of information. Those, those, those two things I can, um, again, can talk, talk about forever. Yeah. So, I'd like to make it a conversation, you know, not just. Yeah, this, this, this lent itself to, to you telling your story, but those things, yeah. those other thing, those other subjects, I think lend themselves more to a conversation between us and, and kind of a, a uh, yeah. each of us have our own personal views on it or not views, but experiences with it. And I think it would be an interesting conversation. Right. To have. Um, yeah. You know, how I normally wrap up is I ask where you are today. And I think you covered that pretty well and, and where you are today and how you're trying to, to overcome some things and how you're working with the things you've learned and, and you're working with your wife and you're working with kids and you're working with the, the, the people on your crew. And I, I think that you've already kind of covered that pretty well. So, right. If you don't mind, I think we, we, I ask you those last two questions and, and, and find out what your answers are to uh, an everyday carry and, and a book. Uh, my everyday carry, uh, is, is, see society curses it a lot, but it's, it's, it, it's my phone. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for, uh, but, but for many of reasons, cause I live and die and because of ADHD and, and, and living with that, uh, I live and die by my calendar. I have reminders. I, you know, I set timers with it. Um, I tend to journal on my phone, um, because I don't always have a place to sit down a, a time during the day to sit down and journal or, any, or write, write. Oh, uh, again, it, I, I, I'm doing, I'm doing a, a writing project challenge that my buddy Cody challenged me to do. Uh, so I do a lot of writing on my phone because of that. I can do a lot of speech to text and then go back and edit it later. Um, what's the challenge? So just, just, a, just, um, I did a lot of family research, uh, years ago and, um, me and my buddy were talking about it one day and I am a big history nut. And I, uh, one of my family members was a, a part of, uh, Braddock's expedition, uh, and also turns into Braddock's defeat uh, during the French and Indian war. And, um, I don't know why he did this. Um. Uh, Besides being an asshole, but, uh, he's like, I'd like to hear that, you know, a fictional tale of that, or, or, or I forgot his words, but something like that. Fan, he basically challenged me to write some fan fiction or whatever. 
And of course, you know, again, it's, it's kind of like my therapist kind of dropped a little seed in my head and I'm sitting there and I just, one day I'm just gonna have some idle time and I just kind of start writing. And so I wrote and I was, and sometimes when you were creative, you like to share things, you like see what other people think. And, um, so I, I started kind of like writing what they come out now as episodes and I would share them with my, some of my friends and then, um, learned about Substack. So I started put it together on Substack and now what I had written, I put in, put in episodes and I put it out on Substack. And then as I write, you know, and again, I, I try to stay kind of true to the history. So when I get to parts that I need to learn history or need to learn something, I have to kind of like stop for a while to, uh, of writing the story and kind of trying to figure out the correct history or, or, or try to stay within bounds. Mm. I just don't want to be total, total fiction. So that's where I am right now with the story. I'm calling what I, I what I've changed it to now is I, I'm telling an epic bedtime story. And, and so I like when that. I, when I have an, when I have an episode, what I'm calling episodes, I, chapters, whatever you want to call it. Cause I, I you know, it's, it, I don't know what you want to call it. I just, I'll put it on Substack and, and then my, my friends or whoever subscribe to that can, uh, go read it, you know, at their pleasure. And I'm not sending, I don't, you know, I'm not sending bunch of text out a text that's you know i don't know how long so uh i found that to be an easy way to get that out and it's a awesome creative outlet for me uh it lets me again i'm a history nut so i you know i get to research the history and i just get to be in the history nerd basically and then kind of put that into a fictionalized story of a of a family member that was a part of of the French and Indian war. So, so with that being said, what's, what, what book recommendation do you want to, to offer up? I just finished an audio book. Uh, it's called, what was it called? Um, look at real quick. That's the history. It's called forest of vanity and valor by ADP Beswick. It's a series of books and it's, I guess if the Avengers were in medieval times, uh, that's, that's, um, that's the, and I was told about it. So I'm a big Marvel fan, a big comic book nerd as well. And, um, so I was like, this kind of sounds interesting. And I, I got the first book and I've just finished it. And it's, it's, it's. It's pretty interesting. It's, um, you know, a little fantasy, you know, medieval fantasy stuff, but I, it, I enjoy it. It's stuff, it's something totally different from reading history books all the time. And, uh, it's, it's just a good break to listen to that. At the, excuse me, at the very least, it sounds intriguing. Yeah. I mean, you know, but, uh, I mean. Not, not, it's not going to be for everyone, but whoever likes fantasy and right. medieval stuff and Avengers, they, they will probably enjoy it. Well, my friend, I think 
Oh, excuse me. I think that's a good spot to leave it for today. Um, let's uh, let's let me stop the recording and then we can talk about when you're free next. When we when our schedules match up, okay. you, we we all know the nightmare of matching up firefighter schedule to firefighter schedule. Yeah. So let me uh, let me stop this and then we can talk about that. And uh, okay. I want thank you for the time today. It's been awesome, man. I appreciate it, man. Thanks. And we're out. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Things We All Carry. Head over to the website, thethingsweallcarry.com, for show notes, resources, and to sign up for the newsletter. Until next week, take care of yourselves, and remember to check in on each other.